leading us, Fran and team, uh, for singing a new song and uh, and pointing us to the cross. It is so good to be together with you all and uh, to share uh, those words, that music. Uh, it's just a blessing uh, to me, so thank you so much. Um, we've this summer been in, engaged in a study of the Psalms, just looking at different different Psalms that, uh, that maybe that David has written or that someone else wrote. You know, the Psalms are such a rich treasury uh, for us. There are the words of God to His people, uh, the words of the, the people to their God. Uh, it's a conversation. It's opportunity for us to to be connected to the Lord through His Word that He's given to us. Uh, they they announce and they voice some of the greatest struggles and the greatest pain that people have experienced, and, and their opportunity to to cry out to the to God. And yet, there are also psalms that celebrate uh, and celebrate the love of Jesus and who He is and, and what He has done. And so, it's been a, a joy for me to to investigate and to study and to have these as on the forefront of my mind and heart all summer. And so, we this morning we're going to look at Psalm 96. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 96 if you have it with you. It's also in the front of the sermon notes uh, there for you. But I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. This is God's Word for us today. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns! Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Father, we thank You for Your Holy Word that You've given to it, given to us. May it speak to us. May it shape us. May it transform us to be more faithful worshipers of You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Well, not too long ago, I read an article about education. And in this education article, it was talking about a particular group of schools uh, called KIPP. Uh, and they, well, part of what they do, one of their techniques for education is to, is to use singing in the classroom as a way of teaching their students. I read another article about in, uh, in England, there was actually a national campaign to encourage teachers to use singing and even chanting in classes because they found that it's a great way to teach children. And actually, it's a way that uh, many children used to be taught to learn is by singing. And it's really not as, as common uh, anymore, but it, one of the things they talked about is that it helps to, uh, to learn lots of different skills. It reinforces difficult subjects, motor skills, language development. It makes lessons easier to remember. Um, it's also an aerobic activity. So there is some form of exercise that one receives in, in singing. Uh, you learn about rhythm. 
which gives you uh, some assistance when you're doing math, when you're learning about fractions and ratios. And plus, you know, uh, singing is fun. Don't these people look like they're having fun singing? Yeah, they're having a good time. I know they are. I'm facing this direction. I'm seeing them. I'm not seeing you. I don't know if you look like you're having fun when you're singing or not. But I know the choir loves to sing. They love to be together. It's their ministry. And they have a great time as that family, within a family, to serve and sing. They really enjoy that. Uh, but, you know, well, why is it that we sing? What moves us to sing? Uh, well, there are lots of different things. Uh, it can be joy. Uh, like we, we just sang this morning, um, I will celebrate your love, or it can be even sadness. Uh, it can be uh, patriotism. Maybe you went to a Fourth of July picnic, and in my neighborhood, they played the national anthem, and I was encouraged to hear that people were singing the national anthem. I always sing it, uh, and I'm always confused why people don't sing it. I love to sing it. Well, there are things that happen when we sing. Uh, sometimes we gather together in, in a worship space like this. There are words that are given to us that, that voice things that maybe we don't think about, but then when we hear them, when we sing them, they become part of who we are and, and enables us to express part of our struggle. But do you know, you realize that we're really less and less a singing culture and we're more and more a listening culture. Um, in the days uh, before digital downloads, there were compact discs. Um, before that, we had cassette tapes and then eight tracks and, of course, the good old vinyl records. Uh, before those things, the way you heard music was to gather around the piano and sing some songs together. That's how people listened to music. They didn't just listen, they sang. Uh, everyone would pick up their instrument. And they would play and sing along. And so now we don't play. We just press play. And we leave it to the professional. And so most of the singing that we do, really all the singing we do, is in the shower or in the car when we're by ourselves. And then only occasionally do we gather together as a group of people and sing. And then not even all of us are actually singing. But the scriptures, in fact, these scriptures call us to sing. And in this passage, there's a pattern that God reveals. It's interesting. First, there is a call to worship. And then there's a command for the church. And then there is a description of the Lord. And then that pattern picks up again in verse 7. There's a call to worship. There's a command for the church. And there's a declaration of who God is. So we'll follow this, this repeating pattern that happens twice in this psalm. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. It says, sing songs that are new. Now, it doesn't say, stop singing the old songs. It just says, sing new songs. Now, the old songs are good songs, but we also need new songs that capture what we're going through today and, and our struggle and our joy, our need for today. You know, music changes. You know, if you've noticed this, if you ever listen to classic rock, now they have 80s rock on classic rock. And before, 80s rock was not classic rock. It was 50s and 60s. You know, like what happened to classic rock station when they're putting 80s rock songs on there? You know, what resonates with one uh, generation doesn't resonate with another generation. So we're called to sing new songs, to write new songs. It always amazes me that people keep writing new songs. It feels like we should be done inventing music. Like we've written all the songs we can possibly write. There's no more musical instruments or no more different way to play. But then something new comes along. And it gives voice to a new struggle or to a new idea. It says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Every 
aspect of the creation. Later on, it will talk about the oceans and the trees and all of creation. Sing to the Lord, the One who made heaven and earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Notice that each time it says, sing to the Lord. They're not just songs about songs. Uh, They're not just songs about somebody's experience. But they're songs to the Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with a song about someone's experience because it gives voice to what their struggle is or what brings them joy. But these songs that the Lord is commanding us to sing are songs about Him. Songs about who He is, what He is doing, or how we live in relationship to Him and what defines and describes that journey that we all share together as worshipers of God. Sing to the Lord. And if you notice this, you can't really see it in English, but the word sing, the command to sing, is second person, plural. It's plural. The command is for all of you to sing. That means singing in the shower and in the car is fine. But there's something important, something special, something significant about gathering together like this and to sing together. And that's that's the, uh, the call to worship that the, the psalmist gives to us. Then the command of the church begins in the second part of verse 2. It says, Tell of His salvation every day. Declare His glory among the nations. Tell and declare. What are we declaring? What is it that we are to declare? His salvation. The good news of salvation. That's it. Uh, wretched sinners like me, like you, can find forgiveness and mercy. And it's uh, the good news that those who have been hurt can extend forgiveness and extend mercy. That, that broken hearts can experience healing. That those who are far from God can, can return to His good grace. That, that you and I can experience love. That we can experience the love of God. That's the good news of salvation. Even in our rebellion, even when we walk in with a cold heart that doesn't want to sing, God says, here am I. Here am I. That's the good news of salvation. That Jesus has come and He has brought life to the world. 237 years ago, the signers of the Declaration of Independence declared that they were free from the tyrannical rule from the British government. Of the 56 signers, 53 were Christians One was Catholic and two were Unitarians. Each of these men drew their convictions about freedom from their religious faith. Only in seeing themselves as in creating the image of God could they make this claim of freedom for our country. Their convictions led them to a profound declaration that changed forever the course of history. How much more then should we be willing to declare the independence that we have received from the tyranny of sin? Through God's glorious Son, we've been set free. That's why God commands us to declare His glory among the nations. But what does it even mean to declare God's glory? Certainly it means that we speak of how wonderful, how awesome, how majestic and powerful God is. We, we speak of His character. We speak of His holiness, His His grace, His power, His sovereignty, His excellencies, His majesty. All those things are revealed to us through the pages of God's Word. But then when we speak about those things, then we are speaking about God's glory. So God's glory is revealed to us, and then as we share that, we reveal God's glory to others. It's like looking into a mirror. 
you're only seeing a representation of who you are. It's, it's you, but it's not completely you, right? You don't see what you're thinking about. You don't see the struggles. You don't see the joy. You don't see the character of a person when they look in, into the mirror. You just see the external. Well, when God, when we reflect God's glory, it's like God, and yet it's not like God. That's what revealing God's glory is. We're revealing that God is worth something. So, for example, you gave God glory when you came into this room. You said it was worth something for me to be here. I could be sleeping in or watching TV or or at the lake or maybe that was last week. But you're here because this is valuable. So what you're saying is, God, you're you're worth worth being glorified because I want to be here with you. And maybe someone dragged you here. That's possible. But you're here. And that's why we sing. And so we we raise our hands or we sing out loud because we say, Lord, yes, we want to worship you. I'm not embarrassed to have my voice heard because I want to proclaim you. When you sing loud enough for someone around you to hear you, then what you're saying is, God, my voice to you is more important than my voice to them. Some of you have great, wonderful voices and some of you don't. And even if you sing without a great, wonderful voice... It's you're saying, God, you're more important to me. You're worthy of my praise, even if it only sounds good to you. Which leads us to this third part of the psalm here, which is the description of the Lord of the universe. The Lord of whom we sing, and one who is deserving of declaration, is now described by the psalmist. He says, For great is the Lord, and worthy to be praised. He is to be feared above all the gods. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He's saying to the psalmist that the Lord is unparalleled and ultimate. He is supreme over every force, real or imagined. He is matchless. There is nothing that one can turn to that can give true security or real meaning apart from the Lord God. You know, often when we hear the word idol, we think of a, a primitive worshiper bowing down to a, a carved figurine or a, uh, something that's made of precious metal, gold or silver. An idol to us is something that was created by human hands that fortunately for us, we don't have to deal with idolatry because we don't have those things in our lives. Thank God. You know, in the Old Testament... The Bible says God teaches people don't bow down to these carved images, those little figurines that we would identify as idols. But in reality, an idol is anything, anything in our lives that we look to to give us security, anything that we look to to give us significance, anything that we look to to give us hope or joy that isn't the Lord. An idol is anything in our heart that is in the place that only God should be. So, for example, what are some idols? Well, well, money can become an idol. It's not an idol in and of itself. But it, be, it can become an idol when we look to it for our security. You know, if you don't feel like you're um, secure in your life, if you don't have enough money saved up or stockpiled, if you feel like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen if I don't have enough money, it can become an idol. Sometimes we feel like money makes us more important or more significant. And the more money I have, then the more importance and the more significance I have. Or, conversely, if I don't have enough money, then I don't feel important. And I'm not a significant person. Sometimes we don't think we have enough money. We we feel like others are better than us. 
So if, if money becomes these things to us, and, and for most of us it's, it's one of those things, we find security, we, we get control, we get power, we get pleasure from it, it can become something that we look to to find those things. And it becomes an, an idol. That's kind of an easy one though, right? Money, you know? What about this? One that's kind of tougher is our good deeds. The good things we do. What if I'm helping others or I'm loving people? Did you know that even loving God, in a way, can become an idol in your life? For example, if you're kind to someone to earn their favor, or if you're nice to someone to get their attention, or to get them to owe you one for later, then the good work that you're doing is not really an unselfish thing. It's actually a very selfish thing, because it's about you. You're really trying to serve yourself. If you're serving someone and you become dissatisfied with how they appreciate you, then it's, it's possible that you're really doing it for yourself and not out of the sheer joy and love of serving. If you're obeying God because you want to earn points with God, and if you want to say, God, now you owe me better health, better wealth, uh, better happiness in my life, then you see God as someone who can get you what you want. You're not serving God because He's worthy to be praised and enjoyed. So then the good works have become a way to manipulate God and to get Him to do what you want. But we know that it doesn't work that way. Those good works then become an idol. We worship and sing to God. We give of our resources to God. We serve the community around us for God simply because it pleases God and it's honoring to Him, and it's what He's called us to do. That's what we're called to do. The challenge for us is to realize that, that, that we're falling into idolatry all the time. But the good news is God doesn't count our idolatry against us. In fact, we should probably feel guilty for the ways that we've displeased God all the time. But there's this moment of conviction, but then we realize through Christ we have freedom. God doesn't say, you can't stand in my presence. He says, come and sing to me. He commands us, sing to me. He knows the idolatry of our hearts. He knows the ways that we have struggled, that we have spoken harshly, that we have not been the people He wants us to be. And yet He calls us, He commands us to come into His presence and to worship Him. He wants to be in our presence. He wants you to be near Him. He wants you to know Him and to love Him. If there's any hesitation, it's on your part, not on God's. But don't let there be a hesitation. Come into His presence with singing. We see then in the text, then this pattern repeats itself. There's a, a call to worship. It says, ascribe, which, to means, which means to give or to speak of. Ascribe, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe glory to the Lord. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You see, on the one hand, God is the most glorious being, the most glorious thing, the most glorious idea in the entire universe. God doesn't need us to tell Him that He's glorious. He already is, and He already knows it. He is the most worthwhile, and He is the most worthy. It's like a child that maybe happens to go, I don't even know if this exists or not, but the the Mark Gasol basketball camp. Mark Gasol plays for the Memphis Grizzlies. He was named uh, the most valuable defensive player in the NBA. And let's say a child, a participant in that, in that camp, goes up to Mark Gasol and says, you're a good player. You're good on defense. Mark already knows that. 
he knows it in his heart because he is a great defensive player. His association of basketball teams has named him the best. He doesn't need to hear it from a child. It's the same with God. He doesn't need to hear from us that he's glorious. And yet, when that child says to Mark Gasol, you're the best defensive player, Mark Gasol is acknowledged once again as being the best defensive player. And in the same way, you and I, when we gather in this space and we sing to the Lord of creation and we say, God, you're holy, you're great, you're mighty, what happens then is God receives more glory because more of the people that he has created, more of the people that he loves are worshiping him in spirit and truth. And that's the only thing that he deserves. And that's wonderful. And that's powerful. See, the more we sing about God, the more we obey God, the more we give to God, the more we live for God, the more we live for others because of God, all those words and thoughts and actions give glory to God. And the more we are doing that, the more we're already affirming what is already true about God and who He is. And that is glorious. And notice that it's a command, as I've mentioned. It's not a suggestion. You know, there's a funny thing about obedience. There may be times in your life and you just don't want to sing to God. We don't feel like it. Maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's struggle. Maybe it's sin. You know, part of life is dealing with these realities and yet we are commanded to sing, to ascribe, to worship. There is something about opening up your mouth, singing praise that is healing, that's encouraging. It's life-giving. Just, just sing it out. Even if you don't know the words, sometimes it's good to think about the words and what they mean. Sometimes it's good just to sing. Just to sing the words as a response in obedience because then God pours His heart out into you and He begins to change and shape your own heart. In World War I, uh, there were these canary dealers in New York and they were not able to import these beautiful singing canaries from the Harz Mountains of Germany. And so one dealer, uh, trying to uh, train some other canaries how to sing, he put records of birds uh, singing near the canaries to try to teach them how to sing in the same way that these other canaries could sing. And that proves of some value. But somehow he made this discovery, which meant real success. He found that if he covered the cages with a thick cloth, completely shutting out all the light, the birds learned to sing. And sometimes it's in the darkest places of our lives that God really teaches us a song. Job 35.10 tells us that God gives songs in the night. Maybe you're in the midst of the darkness right now. Maybe this is the place where God is wanting to teach you a song of faith to Him. You know, people occasionally ask me, they say, Matt, can you sing? And I say, absolutely. Uh, but God is the only one who is pleased with the sound. <laughs> I remember when I was in fifth grade, I was asked to go do the pledge at uh, my elementary school. And part of the, you know, do the pledge, and then we would sing some different songs, a patriotic song, and then one we always did was Eating Goober Peas. And I don't know why that was included in the song list, but it was there. And I had a cold that day, and I was singing, and the assistant principal said, you really have a nice voice. That was the only person ever that's ever said that, ever. But I think that God, when I get to heaven, he's going to say, you got a nice voice. Not because it sounds good to anybody, but because it sounds good to Him. Because what I'm doing when I'm singing is saying, God, You're worthy. And that's why I love to sing. You should hear it when my brother and I are singing together in church. We always have lots of space around us. 
But you know what? The reason I sing is because I'm a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've been given a new song by the God of the universe. God has given me a song to sing. The second part of the second part then says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. John Piper says that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. What he's saying is that there are people out in the world, your neighbors, your friends, uh, people who are in Egypt, people in Iran, they don't yet know the awesome, glorious power of God Almighty. They have a worship problem. They're worshiping the wrong thing. So the task of the church is to encourage others to start worshiping the one true God who will then receive all the glory. That's our mission, is to lead people into the white-hot enjoyment of the glory of God through worship. The one true and living God. How many times do you know of the local atheist club gets together and sings songs? Do they sing beyond the shower and the car? I don't know. The heavens will be glad, the earth will rejoice, the seas will roar, the fields, even the trees and the forest sing. All of creation is singing to the glory of God. When we sing the new song, we sing with all of creation. Because you see, at the end of the psalm, it says that God is coming to judge. And sometimes we look at judgment as an awful and terrible thing, and it will be. But it's also a glorious thing because God is going to judge wickedness and sin and He will reveal Himself in power and that is going to be one of the most glorious things that God will defeat the enemy forever for good. God is going to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and His people in faithfulness. Not by our standards. Not by comparing ourselves to one another but by His standards. He knows every thought you've had. He knows every action that you've taken. He knows everything that you're doing. God knows everything that you're doing. And He will remember. And He will judge each and every one of us. And He, by the power of His Son Jesus, who has come into this world, is the one that can make all things new. Every action that you've ever taken that was displeasing to God, every word that you have spoken, every thought that you have had, can be cleansed, can be purified by the precious, holy blood of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is glorious. That God is working out His glory in you. And because of that, we sing. We rejoice in Him. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your grace and for Your goodness, for Your mercy that You've extended to us through Your Son. We pray that You would Help us to honor you in every way and that you would be glorified and that we would sing your song of faith. In Jesus' name.